Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Tuesday. Greetings, everybody. It is Adil Royster. It is the Out of Sight Podcast on the Liberty Ballers Network. Chill ride, chill vibes, as always. Um, weather kind of sucks at the time of this recording, and uh, not too much to look forward to tonight because the Eagles are playing, or they played last night. Won't know the results of that, but I mean, they're playing the Seattle Seahawks, and they're letting Russ cook, so probably did not go well um on the pod today we have a regular guest to the show now i can't i can't count how many times what what's this what's this for you steve uh the uh fourth fifth time you've been on the pod? i think fourth i think okay. fourth. yeah steve Littman, gastroenteritis blues uh one of the co-hosts he's on the line and uh we're talking joel Embiid. Thank you for having me, IDO. I'm so happy to be here. Listen, I always love having you on here because I feel like you and I bounce off each other really well. Not to, say, not to say that me and the other writers don't, but I'm just saying, you know, we, we're both very sarcastic and uh, <laughs> funny when it comes to the Sixers. Again, not to slight any of the other columnists on the site. You're going to start a controversy. Well, I mean, that's part of, that's part of my brand. That's right. Controversy and controversy, my belief in Nikola Jokic, <laughs> and my unwavering support of 6'4 white guys from Duke that do nothing <laughs> but shoot threes. That's that, right. That is my brand. <laughs> uh, that's so, the whole brand. That's my whole brand. That's the whole thing. <laughs> Put it on a T-shirt. <laughs> so... Steve penned a column, uh, came out yesterday, actually, and uh, it's the five ways the Sixers have supported Joel Embiid this offseason. I read it, and it was just really interesting to me. And Thank you very much. And I'll just start off. Like, why is it so important to keep Joel happy and supported? You know, uh, if the, the main reason I feel like is because players more than ever are running the league, and they should. But players and their agents are really sort of deciding when they want to get out of somewhere. And uh, Joel is one of those play. You know, sometimes somebody like Thon McCurr will ask for a trade and it's like, yeah, buddy, <laughs> we'd love to trade. You, but that's not really the issue. Like somebody like Embiid is somebody who can really wield a lot of influence because he's so good uh, and because he's also very young. So uh, it becomes something where you know, coming off the year that the Sixers had uh, where, you know, they signed Al Horford, they let go a few of Embiid's best friends and players that were super helpful for the team. Uh, I think that they were in a tough spot with him because if they had another year like last year at the trade deadline, I would be worried that he would start looking elsewhere. So I think that they really needed to finally show up for him in a way that they hadn't since Sam Hinkie left. 
you made a insane reference that I'm just like, I just, I, I, I feel like I'm a father and like your son. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, my, my, my boy is all grown up. And the, the line was, for years, the Sixers owners cleaned up the mess they made like Adam Sandler and Big Daddy, merely spreading a newspaper over the spilt milk, hoping no one would notice. Thank you so much. I, you know, I wrote that and I was like, I hope somebody gets it, but I love that movie. And it, and it really is what I think they've been doing. I totally get it. And honestly, are you surprised that, are you a little bit surprised that Joel stayed as long as he has? Like, despite the fact that Hinky drafted him and believed in him, but then you had those Colangelo years and the one Elton Brand year that didn't go extremely well. Like, I'm kind of shocked. Are you? You know, I, I'm not surprised that to this point he hasn't asked for a trade. I mean, like, if he had asked for a trade right out of the bubble, I, I wouldn't have been able to blame him too much. But You're the right. reason I, I wouldn't uh, – that the reason I actually would be surprised is because just a year before last year was the Jimmy Butler era, and, and they went and got him, and Embiid loved him. So it really – like, I feel like his main grievances with the front office probably started – uh, with the beginning of this season when he, he was very open about coming into the year, not looking forward to playing basketball, not having fun. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would have thought that was a little bit early because he's talked about how he, he you know, the organization stood by him. Obviously, it's now a different regime completely, but uh, how the city really embraced him and has lifted him up. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not too surprised that that didn't happen before these last few months. And I will say just piggybacking on your Jimmy Butler point like I will say that if there was one offseason that I was the most worried about with MB just taking his ball and going home it would have probably been this offseason like they uh -huh. swept by Boston he's kind of flirting in Jimmy's mentions and like yeah there was a there was a solid maybe like two weeks where I was just thinking to myself oh my god um that right. season didn't end well Exactly. No, it didn't end well. And also, like, uh, you and I, I believe, were just absolutely shocked that they went and got Daryl Morey. And, you know, we're probably equally surprised that they were able to get somebody like Doc Rivers, rather than the guys who had been rumored before that. So, you know, the outlook of the offseason when the bubble ended for the Sixers was not a hopeful one. And, you know, it really wasn't all that hopeful until the last, you know, five weeks or so here. Getting Doc Rivers, I feel like, was a pretty important first domino, right? Because it's a coach with a little bit of a pedigree. He's done some things. And, you know, um, his, his attitude towards, you know, like managing stars notwithstanding. Like, Doc Rivers is a pretty damn good coach. So, yeah, I mean, Doc is not unassailable as a head coach. I think when you coach for this long, there are, there are blemishes on anybody's record. So, you know, he's he's – worthy of some criticism here and there but if you I think took the temperature of the players in the league nobody has more respect than Doc Rivers like Doc Rivers was a former player was a really good former player and is like a a leader in the uh in the community in the NBA community when it comes to social social justice I mean I, there were reports that when Doc was available he had a phone call with Embiid and the second Doc got hired Embiid goes to social media and welcomes him to Philly, which is not something that he's going to do if he doesn't want to do it. That tweet, does that, did that kind of symbolize like um, almost immediate respect for the new guy? Like, I feel like there might be 
a higher level of respect for Doc Rivers than Brett Brown. Not to say that Embiid didn't have respect for Brett Brown, but I mean, after as many years as Brett coached, you know. Right. I mean, you know, Brett coached Joel for like five years. So I, I think that there was a very friendly vibe between the two of them. And, you know, when at the end of the year, Joel talked about how Brett's always going to be a friend. And, uh, but in terms of a coach who will carry the clipboard and head into the locker room and really command a lot of like gravitas and things like that. Uh, yeah. I think that Joel tweeting that right when doc gets hired is a signal of like, here's my endorsement. Like this is the guy I'm excited to play for him. You know, I think he hashtagged Philly forever in it, you know, so, you know, after, after a, a silent period from him, that was great to see. And it seems like a pattern throughout this whole offseason that he's been very included in every move. And that's something that you kind of have to do with your stars now. You see uh, LeBron having that kind of power. You see Kevin Durant having that kind of power. And that leads me to this question. Um, are we sure Embiid should be getting that kind of respect from the franchise? So what I think is like, he doesn't deserve personnel control. Like he's not, he hasn't proven it yet. Like LeBron James has personnel control. He won't admit it. Um, but he has an agency which is swaying the league and like LeBron has earned that sort of cachet and that sort of influence. LeBron has been the general manager of both the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Los Angeles Lakers in the last five years. Correct. Um, (laughs) You know, when LeBron wants a coach out, the coach gets out generally except for Spolster in the beginning. And that proved to be a great decision by Pat Riley. Uh, The thing about Embiid is not that he deserves personnel control, but he deserves respect and, and consideration that he wasn't getting before this, like letting JJ Reddick go and uh, signing Al Horford, the things that they had done were so anti what he would have wanted and what he has like said very clearly he wanted. Forget, oh, right. that, forget that they're good players who like, you know, and uh, Reddick and Butler that is, uh, but it, it really is. And, and also like the other layer of this to me, and I don't know how present this is or was for Joel, but, the Sixers had a GM who was like talking crap about him on social media through uh-huh. different accounts. And then that guy leaves in disgrace after like two weeks of them deliberating and figuring out how they might be able to avoid that. But they let his whole staff stay there. Like who knows, maybe <sighs> Joel doesn't care about like the, you know, assistance to him that stuck on, like who knows, but if it was me and you know, Joel's not a dumb guy, he's smart and he keeps an eye on things like, that feels like a slap in the face to me that this was such a nightmare and he's ridiculing me, your best player, and you won't even go and get somebody new to bring a whole new team in, you know? So what he deserves is like consideration and he's not LeBron, but he could be our LeBron as it stands right now. Like he is the unassailable best player on the team and he has room to grow on and off the court, but they need to like nurture that relationship or else look around the league, he'll be gone. If there's one move that I can point to this offseason where I said to myself, okay, all right, we're, we're effing serious now. Uh, that was the hiring of Daryl Morey. And when that first, when that happened, after, you know, I cleaned myself off and, you know, changed my shorts, <laughs> that's when I started to really analyze and just think, okay, uh, it's Daryl Morey and um, we can't be messing around with him inserted for five years. Right. So, like, you and I, I'm sure, were shocked that Daryl Morey was high. I mean, it it came out of absolutely nowhere. Absolute nowhere. 
because they had hired a couple guys to be assistants who were like well thought of guys, but it very, very much seemed like it would be Elton and, you know, Dinwiddie and Karangua to, to go forward. And then, you know, credit, you know, credit to Harris and the rest of the ownership group because they had to pay a lot of money and give up a lot of years to Daryl and Doc to get them here. And that's what they did. Like they, they entrusted Daryl with personnel control. Uh, they're keeping Elton on. Elton, everybody seems to like him. So I, I don't mind him sticking around. Um, but it was just, it was a decision that I think they absolutely needed to make. But I was shocked that they noticed that they needed to make it. And I think I talked about this with Tom on a previous Out of Sight podcast. Like the fact that Elton just said, okay, you know what? It's, it's Daryl Morey, and I, I could learn a few things from Daryl Morey, so I'll just take yeah. a step down and just let him just kind of run the show a little bit. Yeah, I was a bit surprised about Elton staying on just because of all of the messaging at the beginning of the offseason was how Elton's in charge, it's Elton's show. You know, my guess is that, you know, Daryl became available. The Sixers pony up, ponied up what they needed to do to get Daryl here. And Elton looked at it and said, you know, I could go and join another front office or I could stay here where I just hired two guys and build up my name and like try to try to, uh, you know, avenge some of the mistakes I made last year and then go to a different place where he'll have full control. So I don't think Elton will be here long because I think he's going to get an offer for full control somewhere, uh, provided things go well. But I think he did the right thing by himself because being associated with Maury this closely and Maury talks him up all the time, I think will only help him. I think it definitely is very supportive for Embiid, the fact that there's Daryl Morey, somebody that's been around for a long time, that's built teams, built teams to compete. And then there's Elton there, who Joel already has a little bit of a relationship with. Like, that's a, that's a solid front office now after, you know, what seems like decades of incompetence almost. Yeah, and, and, and like the, the sort of overarching Daryl thing is that when Sam Hinkie did a podcast with Pablo Torre a month or two ago, he talked about how frequently he still talks to Joel and how they're good friends and they talk about life and they are just, you know, regular friends. So, you know, Daryl worked with Sam for a long time and they are very close friends themselves. So I don't think it's like pie in the sky to think that Embiid was excited about Daryl in a way because of his proximity to Hinky all those years. And uh, given how close he and Hinky appear to be to this day. I wonder if Sam gave Daryl any like helpful tidbits and nuggets, like how to, how to deal with uh, Joel and how to talk to him and like how to get on his good side. <laughs> well, you know, the other part of Daryl that I always thought is I, I, I thought because of his relationship with Sam, he'd never come to this ownership group. Like part of me was like, he knows how that went down. He know that they didn't do right by him. I would be shocked if he came to Philly. Never in a million uh, I, years. Exactly. So I think that what ended up happening is he sees Embiid and Simmons as two young stars that are controllable and are in their prime. And that was a good enough situation. And I think Harrison company paid him like a great executive and promised to stay out of the way like owners uh, who work with great executives should do. The roster now yeah. that Daryl has created in what see <laughs> the the joke was it's funny how daryl morey kind of fixed every problem the sixers had within two hours right and it's fantastic uh, <laughs> the, i mean 
Go ahead. The, the, the first of which being the trading of Al Horford, which everybody knew it was coming, and it was just a matter of, okay, how much real value are we really getting out of this? You know, they, they get off the contract, number one. But then, you know, Terrence Ferguson, that's a nice piece. And, uh, you know, the, just, the, just getting Horford off this roster and kind of solidifying – you know, hopefully that Joel is a lot happier now. Yeah, I, um, I, some people were thinking about this offseason and thinking like, we're going to have to give up so much for, to get off of Al. Yeah. I'd rather just suck it up and have him be the backup center. I didn't think that that was a tenable situation. Like, I don't, I didn't think that you could sell to your franchise player that we're going to continue to pay $30 million for this guy to play 15 minutes a game in the regular season, I just, you know, and less in the, uh, in the postseason. I just, I didn't see it. You know, I thought they needed to get him off the books uh, to, to prove it to Joel and, and just to balance the roster better. So the fact that they gave up one first that's in 2025 and they kept the 21st pick this year uh, and also get somebody like Danny Green, who's going to play for them. Like Danny, Danny Green, Green is a starter. He's a good shooter. He's a good defender. He's going to like play tons of minutes with Simmons and Embiid and just like fit right in. So uh, to to get back a useful player and not having to just like salary dump Horford to the Knicks or to Charlotte or something is, is a great move. And, and uh, you know, Danny Green is, is a pretty perfect ancillary piece next to Simmons and Embiid. I was completely, com- I was completely prepared, like mentally ready for like uh 40 cents on the dollar tree for like, you know, Nicholas Batum's expiring contract exactly. or something. But the fact that they got Danny Green and Terrence Ferguson and only had to give up a 2025 first rounder, like that's, that's gold right there. I'll take that. Right. And I think Daryl looks at 2025 first round, you know, some people were like, well, we might be bad by then. And, and I guess that's possible if Simmons and Embiid move on and it all blows up. But I think Daryl probably looks at that and says like, there are so many ways between now and 2020 and then for me to get a 2025 first rounder, like, yeah, I'd be surprised if they go into that draft when it actually happens without a first round pick. Like I'm sure he'll make up for that. And I, I wouldn't really worry about it. And the thing about the 2025 pick was just the something I was kind of thinking about. It's like, oh, that's a 2025 pick. So Mario will probably be gone by then. So he's mortgaging picks that he won't even really have control over. But, I guess uh, that's possible too, yeah. But again, if it gets us off the Horford contract and it returns us, you know, a player like Danny Green, who's really serviceable still, like I'm okay with that. Exactly. Like the win, yeah. The window is open, so you know what? Make those moves, Daryl. Let Daryl cook. I mean, throughout his career, Daryl Morey has been like such a star guy. Like he, he just feels like you don't win in the league without stars. You, you're not in the conversation without stars, and uh, so I think that he looked at this and saw two guys that he can build around, and he can like build a sensible roster different from the one they just had last year with, and I think he saw a lot of room to grow there. So. Uh, yeah, I think that his whole mission will be optimizing the team around these two guys for now. Then the Seth Curry trade. Mm. Be honest. Did you... Th- okay, grade that trade for me. Like, was Josh Richardson and a second rounder for Seth Curry? Did that feel like a little too much for you? Or is that kind of like even Steven? So you and I were actually doing the uh, draft live stream when this, when this trade happened. And the first thing you think is like, 
is that a mistake? Is that why is the pick going with Josh rather than with Seth? Because in a vacuum, Richardson is probably a better player than Seth Curry. I mean, Curry just had a better year than Richardson, uh, but they, you know, Seth was in a good fit and Richardson was in a bad one. The reason that I think you get to the Sixers, including 36 in that trade, is because Seth has this year and two more at $8 million on his contract. And yeah, that's a solid that's a, deal. That's a controllable guy, and you need, as Maury said, a gravity elite shooter next to Simmons and Embiid, and that's what he is. I mean, he is either the best shooter in the game or in the top five, and having that locked in for so cheap, I mean, look at what standstill shooters are getting. Like, Davis Bertans got 75, and Joe Harris got 80, and, you know, like, these guys, the going rate for guys like that is really high. So having somebody like that controlled, I feel like Daryl thought, you know, we're not going to use all of these second round picks anyway. So why don't I just make sure we get Seth Curry out of this deal? <laughs> we're not going to use all of these second round picks anyway. And I'll be damned if you're going to sell any of them. So let me just I, try to use them. I, what a nut. <laughs> did not sell a pick. <laughs> um, there's a sentence you said about Richardson. Uh, this is no grand indictment on Richardson, a fine player who seemed to get along well with Embiid but it is a remarkably valuable acquisition for a team like the Sixers. And I totally agree with that. I like Josh Richardson. I like what he brought on defense, but his offense was just so, there was just so much left to be desired. And some of it is like him playing out of position. Something was like, there were other things that were fit based. Just, it just didn't work for some reason when it should have. You know, Josh is going to do really well in Dallas. Like, he's just going to be a dog on defense and shoot when he's open. And, you know, I, I, I'm very optimistic about him. I think that he's good, and I even think he'll get a little bit better here and there. Uh, this was just not the right spot for him, you know. Like, he is a slow decision maker. So, as a ball handler, he doesn't give you a lot unless he's making a mid-range jumper, which he's decent at. But he's not a consistent enough shooter. And uh, for a team like the Sixers, that he was the only guard in the starting lineup to begin yep. the year, he doesn't have enough of a versatile offensive game to do that. And he's not a lead ball handler. So it, he really is a victim of circumstance. And, uh, you know, when you look back at that trade, they got uh, him for Butler. And, and, you know, Butler was a free agent. So they're lucky that he wanted to go to Miami so they could sign and trade anyway to get anything. Um, cause then that leads you to getting set, but it just was the wrong fit. And I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that anybody should think Richardson stinks because of this year. Like he, right. he's a good NBA player and he's a valuable one when he's in the right situation. The Sixers just so happen to have enough defense at this point and yeah. you're starved for ball creation. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Nobody really thought that Simmons was going to take the defensive leap that he did. I I, I kind of thought that it could happen, but I didn't think it would happen so quickly at such a rapid pace, right? He just goes from, all right, he's solid defender to, oh my God, we can put him on the best perimeter player. And uh, yeah, they're not doing much. Right. I mean, it's (laughs) unbelievable. I mean, people, 
Ben Simmons gets is such a polarizing player and people on the internet love to make fun of him because he doesn't shoot, which is, I mean, he doesn't shoot. That's true. Right. But, but they also will conflate that with not improving whatsoever. Like they'll be like, yes, Simmons I hate hasn't that improved too. since rookie year, which is just not true. Like if you watch him at LSU, he was not so interested in defense. He wasn't interested in much because he just wanted to get out of that year and get to the NBA. Right. But, him just turning it on every night and guarding everybody and switching and playing hard, like that's a true improvement. And it gives you this really like these two unbelievable fulcrums to build around on defense with Simmons and Embiid. It's pretty unbelievable. And when you have, when you bring in Danny Green, Seth Curry and Embiid is going to see all the double teams that he's used to seeing, like it's nice to see guys running around on the court where Embiid passes out and you're just like, okay, that's three points. I mean, there was a game, there was a, like an infamous clip last year of a Sixers offensive set and, and Bede's posting up and he kicks it out and then Horford takes it and tries to post up and then he kicks it out and Harris takes it and tries to post up. It was like, it was like oh watching tape from 1980. It was unbelievable. So getting guys like Green and Curry who will just shoot off the catch and like if Doc Rivers can optimize Tobias Harris in the way that he did in L.A., and just convince him, like, Tobias, you're shooting seven threes a game. Like, right. shoot when you're open and run some pick and roll, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, and, he, and he'll be getting guarded by fours again, which will really help him. And he'll be guarding fours again. Uh, so, yeah, I think, that, uh, I think that's a big help. When we talk about Joel's happiness, you know, there's always that uh, little caveat of, you know, have roster guys that he likes and gets along with you know it, it started his rookie season with luke and Mute and then nerlands and then jimmy right. butler and jj reddick uh the the sixers signed justin anderson and on the surface it doesn't seem like much but guys remember those years that justin anderson were there how much fun was that dang team like yeah. that team was fun as hell man and like bringing justin back like that uh, like, I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, Robert Covington offensively, but, you know, on, on the bench, that's what he could be. Yeah, you know, I, I think that this is sort of an undervalued thing, but if you look around the league, it happens where, I mean, how many years did James Jones play in Cleveland? Oh, God. Expiration date? I mean, <laughs> LeBron loved him and he wanted him around. And, you know, the same thing happened with Big Z after he had, you know, sort of finished out his effective years. So, uh, you know, the Sixers, he's, he's not shy about talking about who he likes on the team. Like, he's a guy who will tell you who he hangs out with most. And one of the guys over the years that was his best friend was Anderson. And, you know, the two of them went to the Super Bowl together when the Eagles won. Uh, they clearly had a very close bond. And you really talk, you know, I don't think that you should make decisions like this based on who's friends with your star. If you're talking about your sixth man or right. a key rotation guy, but if you're talking about like Derek Walton Jr. or Justin Anderson, who will like empirically improve Embiid's happiness, I think you do that. Like he talks about how much he needs to have fun and how much that ex affects his game. Um, there won't be fans for a while. Who knows when there's going to be fans? Like right. surround him with guys that keep his spirits high. And I also, I think I'm probably in the minority here, but I think Justin is like actually the kind of player that the Sixers should use a roster spot on in that he's big and physical and, they could use somebody in that same vein where they have a few, you know, smaller guys and a few wing guys, but they could use like a three slash four guy. So I like him. I, I think that he'll be a, I think he'll definitely get a roster spot. 
Um, and I think that, uh, that it'll be good to have him around for MB. An extra six fouls on Jason Tatum could not hurt. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, everybody was kind of hoping that Nerlens would return. And I was, I was one of those people on that, on that, uh, on, on that, on that bus. But, you know, I mean, listen, Dwight Howard, granted, he's not the Dwight Howard of old, but I think I mentioned this on the Draft Night podcast as well. I can just see Joel and Dwight because Dwight is still kind of like a big kid. Mm-hmm. I can see them hitting it off really well. <laughs> you know, uh, Dwight is better than Nerlens. There's just no getting around that, especially yeah. in a year like last year where he just committed to being energetic and rebounding the hell out of the ball and blocking shots and, you know, being a team guy. Uh, you know, the issue with Dwight over the years has been that he has not been fun to be around and that he has not been, you know, so, uh, a useful guy in the locker room in terms of morale. And he had, he had all sorts of things with his ego where he wanted all these post-ups, but that wasn't what his game was. You know, he should be a DeAndre sort of rim right. <laughs> Um, You know, and the cool thing was when they signed Dwight, I think it was, uh, was it Mark Spears of ESPN maybe? Uh, tweeted that Embiid called Howard to recruit him to come and be his backup. Right. Like we haven't, I don't know about you, but I haven't heard of Embiid doing that for anybody. Um, So I think that he saw value in Dwight being the center behind him. And Dwight in his press conference talked about how he's, he lost his ego and how all he cares about is winning and contributing to winning and how much he loves Ben and Joel. Like it's a low risk thing because they signed him on a minimum and if he's a you know pain in the ass, they can just cut him. And, exactly. You know, I would trust that they would. Um, but it seems like all parties want that to work out. And you know, if Howard is who he was last year, that's a huge thing for this team. Where now you're paying the veteran minimum for a backup that completely holds your defense up. The Lakers had Dwight Howard and Javale McGee, and I always I always coined it this way: like they have they have Dwight Howard and they have McGee. And, you know, they both have the same kind of goofy attitude a little bit. Uh-huh. But Dwight Howard is actually still kind of good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> when you look at what Dwight can do, if he, like, if you're playing Dwight 15 minutes a game and he is just, like, sort of raring to go, what you can really weaponize is his ability as a rebounder and tapping the ball out. Yeah. And if you think about when he'll be playing is when Embiid will be sitting and the offense can really stagnate at times when Embiid sits because Embiid – creates so much of on his own and creates so much attention and draws so many fouls. So another way to gain extra possessions is having somebody like Dwight Howard as your center who can gain you more possessions by keeping the ball on that end of the floor. And it goes, and it's worth mentioning Dwight Howard was one of the league leaders in offensive rebounds last year. Exactly. Like that's some, that's, that's like second chance points are incredibly important against any team and even more so in like a playoff series where you need those extra possessions. Yeah. I mean, the Sixers going into last year, were talking about bully ball and you know, they were really just taller than other teams. They weren't being ultra physical. You know, that was what was so frustrating for me. I mean, Horford for his career is not a great rebounder. So they weren't killing teams on the boards and sometimes they would have really impressive defensive sequences, but they weren't, you know, Dwight Howard is what you look for more when you think about that sort of basketball where he's bigger than everybody. And, you know, if he's only playing 15 minutes, he is just ready to go. So, uh, 
uh, I, I think that that's going to be a huge thing. It's not bully ball with Al Horford if he's at the three point line. I think that's what got I think that's what got mixed up a little bit. Right, and and you know I think part of his defensive issues are are Brett Brown, Brett Brown's fault as well because they played the same drop coverage which he just can't do. You know Horford isn't a shot blocker like Embiid or like Dwight, so now they can be more consistent on the defensive end because both Embiid and Dwight can protect the paint. And you know what? I look at this roster like top to bottom and I get a lot of 2017 and 2018 squad vibe from the scene. Like just, just not, not as young as they were back then, but still like really fun, you know, like Embiid, Embiid is a character. Dwight Howard is a character. Matisse does his thing. Tobias is a little bit of a character too. Like, this is this could be a really fun team that we haven't seen in a couple of years, and I think that's going to benefit Joel tremendously. You know, after such a season that was so not fun, and like watching this whole season was such a slog, and it just it just didn't inspire any confidence. This will absolutely be a fun team to watch. Of course, barring injuries, you know, times a million, but like. You know, I, earlier, prayer. <laughs> earlier today uh, on Gastroenteritis Blues, we had Kevin Nagandi on from ESPN. At the end of the podcast, we were talking about how we feel about the team this year. And uh, Dan said, I'm excited, but I don't think they're a contender. And, you know, Kevin was excited and, and I'm excited. The thing for me, like right now, I wouldn't say that the Sixers are like bound for the Eastern Conference Finals. Like I think that they need to go up a rung during the year, you know, with the, with the current personnel on the team. But I think that the way to take that step is internal improvements from Simmons and Beat. Like, right. that's it. Like, look at Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum became a superstar last year because he got that much better. Like, this is out there. And there, there are, like, minor tweaks that they can make to become so much better. You know, it's like Ben Simmons, go to the rim like crazy. You know, like, get <laughs> fouled eight times a game, you know, like make however many of them you can, but like get the other team in foul trouble because whoever guards you is either smaller or slower, you know? Right. Uh, Embiid, you know, be in peak shape and lead the team on the road. Don't sleepwalk through games, that sort of thing, you know? So I think that right now I would put them outside of, you know, what you would call a contender uh, for a championship, but they're right on the cusp if they get internal improvement from those guys. I mean, I, I guess I think a little bit differently about the whole contender thing. Like, if you look at the, if you look at the roster that's been constructed compared to, like, last year, I mean, I feel they would definitely do better against oh, a yeah. team like Boston. Yeah. And, you know, Boston might take a little step back after losing uh, Gordon Hayward to free agency. Um, Miami, I mean, they're, I don't know, kind of – Okay, no, no disrespect to like any Miami fans that listen to the podcast, but that that felt kind of fluky to me. Like, I'm sorry, it just it just did, and I don't know if it was just like my my hatred of the overutilization of the two three zone hashtag zone is for cowards, but like I think the Sixers are right there. If you tell if you're asking me, I got Milwaukee one, I got Miami two, and I guess I have the Sixers at three. Yeah, you know, none of those teams are like Goliaths, you know, like none of those teams do you look at and you say, oh my God, you know, Brooklyn, I kind of am not scared of Kyrie Irving that much. Like Kevin Durant's coming off a terrible injury and I'm sure he'll be really good because he's that tall and that good. And 
Uh, he's just but I also be... feel like he has to change his game up a little bit because even listen, even Kobe had to change his game up a little bit after his Achilles injury. Maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, but th- what you really wanted to do is just relieve some of these issues from last year to make yes. it easier on Simmons and Embiid. And they yes. definitely have done that. Now it's on those two guys to go all out every night and really earn a top seat, you know? Um, because who knows, by the time playoffs come around, they might have some fans back and God knows the Sixers love to play at home when there are fans there. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if the, if the Sixers are really like happy and just like everybody's giddy and just everybody's win, we're winning games, you know, honestly, I'll come out and say it like this could be the Joel Embiid MVP season. I'll well, just come what, out and I say mean, it. You know, I, I, the thing about that is I worry that you know, because of how smart lots of front offices are now, he just might not ever play enough games to be in yeah. that conversation because people put some sort of arbitrary benchmark on that. But yeah. listen, if the Sixers are like the one or two seed and Embiid's averaging 30 and 15, he'll be in the conversation, you know? Um, I think that uh, it, it feels a lot better now, you know, when you think about the prospect of this team going forward in the short term and the long term. Yeah, I feel way better now than I did maybe like six months ago. Yeah, by far, by far. Steve Littman, always a pleasure, always making me feel good about talking about the Sixers. The uh, upcoming season uh, is right around the corner because, you know, they're, they're, kicking, this, they're kicking this jawing off early. <laughs> they are. Dude, thank you so much for having me on. It's always great to talk to you, Adil. Always appreciate it. Listen to Steve and Emily and Dan on the Gastroenteritis Blues. Follow Steve Lippman on Twitter at Steve J. Lippman. Uh, Steve, again, thanks for coming on. Appreciate having you as always. Thank you, brother. Have a great night. You too, man. Mm-hmm.